the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Billy Black, you know who I am, and you wonder who's been hiding in the shadows, waiting to come out for Georgia Championship Wrestling. Well, guess what? The invasions begin, and I'm coming after each and every one of you. And when I get through wrapping your head with this bell, you'll know I am the bad boy. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the flagship two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I am joined here by my partner, the one and only primetime JP, John Paz. And John, this week we are digging into the archives for one of the Lost episodes. And this always seems to be the time of the year we dig out the Lost episodes as we are joined by the bad boy, Billy Black, talking about a little territory action, talking about a little All Japan action. And here on our year-ending holiday special, uh, always great to dig into these uh, kind of Lost episodes that you know, when we have so many interviews that get kind of recorded and put into the uh, to the vault, uh, some files end up getting a little screwy and it takes a little bit of time to fix them. But Billy Black is here today and uh, very happy to finally get this one out to the masses. Let's talk a little bit about the bad boy, Billy Black. Yeah, I feel like whenever we kind of do stuff behind the scenes, like change servers and stuff like that, I feel like we end up something gets screwed up and then we're like desperately trying to find the file again and, and you know, re-upload it and get it. So I feel like that, you know, happens maybe too often, but uh, you know, it is what it is as we expand and we grow and we have so many podcasts that we're uploading. I mean, we got to continue to update our servers and do different things like that and update our equipment and, and everything. So unfortunately, Billy Black, the bad boy himself got lost in the shuffle, but I'm glad 
it was able to come back. He resurrected it, and now we can talk about it. And it was pretty much uh, an awesome interview. And and he's just so great. And I feel like such an underrated guy. I mean, he was in all Japan. He was great. Very brief run of Smoky Mountain, but very memorable. And I think a lot of people will remember not only well, it wasn't really a short run but they'll remember him kind of being the tv champion and i think they'll remember a lot of the stories and him being the wild bunch obviously with joel deaton but also in in all japan but he'll remember the smoky mountain run if you're a fan of him in the states you may not remember he made a stop in ecw as well but i feel like uh, most fans i think if you're a really good smart wrestling fan you will remember his time as one half of the wild bunch in all japan and him winning the all asia tag team championship which is the all japan tag team championship yeah i remember you know when you were putting this one together i was not familiar with billy black i mean i heard the name but i wasn't familiar with him and all you got to do is type his name into youtube and you get a bunch of cool matches that you sit there and you go wow like i just love when you can see the mix of guys especially in japan that got to work together and billy being right in there in the middle it's kind of impressive that you know i think he was still pretty young to the business when he was in all japan um but it's like that crop that he was with there at the time. I feel like that's almost like the uh, like the legacy era for the, for the guy jeans at the time that were all in Japan. It was like almost like a glory era with all those big names, those big guys. And when you can kind of step in there and go toe to toe with them and be like you know one of their uh, like counterparts and allies and partners, that's always pretty damn cool. So uh, obviously a nice stop on the old resume, but a, a feather in the cap for it to be uh, early in the career. Awesome. And it's one of those things that I love these underrated guys that people are like, wait a second, he was there at that point or wow, he was a part of that or, you know what I mean? Like they're just kind of almost shocked to, to learn like, oh, wow, you know, he he was uh, an important guy or, he, you know, he, he won a tag title in, uh, in all Japan or wow, he was there during that run. I mean, I love kind of surprising people with some of the guys. And then you go back and you realize, like, wow, this guy was awesome. Can't believe, uh, you know, he went under the radar. I can't believe I don't remember him. Think about all Japan during that run. My God, obviously him and Joel Deaton, and and God bless Joel Deaton. I hope he's doing better. He had a stroke recently, and I saw he was basically kind of learning to to walk again. He's a former great guest of the show. I mean, if you remember, he had one 15-minute run there, was one of the best (laughs) of our show. He was boom, (laughs) boom, boom. And we even talked to him um, because we wanted to purposely ask because – there's a couple sites that were saying on, on a couple dates that he was one of the ding dongs. Oh we yeah, had, that's remember right. We had asked, yeah. about I was never one of the ding dongs. Wow. Blah. What timing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Episode and we just had Greg Evan. We just had Greg Evans. So I just remember that. That was interesting, but going to deep and just think about not only the guy gins, but Asawa, Kawada, Kobashi. Um, you just think about obviously the guy gins, Johnny Ace, uh, Stan Hansen, Dan Spivey, Dr. Dead Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, can am express, uh, Dynamite Kid, Johnny Smith, oh my God, the um, the Malenkos, Andre the Giant, Dory Funk, the Patriot, Abdul the Butcher. I mean, I can go on and on and on. I mean, all these guys are there at the same point as Billy Black, and he did well. It wasn't like he wasn't in these big time matches. He was in these big time matches, and he was wrestling a lot of these guys and having just unbelievable under the radar matches. And you know, I just love his run because people automatically think of those big names that I just mentioned. And then when they go back and they rewatch some of the shows, they're like, Holy shit. You know, the wild bunch surprised me, surprised me. They were, or wow, Billy black, pretty damn good guy, Jim. You know, I'm not going to pat 
TMPT on the back here, especially with our gigantic five-year anniversary coming up. But just looking at the guys that are on that list of the All Japan, you know, opponents and allies. I mean, if they're American and they can speak English and they wrestle in Japan, I'm looking at basically every guy that, we, <laughs> that, that he worked with. This is insane. Just looking down here, you're looking at the Joel Deaton's, the Richard Slingers of the world, yep. Spivey, Hanson. You know, oh my gosh, this is uh, this is like a walk down Dory Funk. It's a walk down TMPT uh, Hall of Fame uh, territory here. Joe uh, Malenko, yeah, Joe Malenko, yeah, absolutely. What did he ever do for us? I can't remember. He uh... oh, <laughs> huge, huge part of the show, yeah. He's but uh, but yeah, this is the kind of interview I think that we we like to stick the feather in the cap. It's the benchmark style. These uh, more obscure guys that get a, give us a lot of time and a lot of details. And uh, again, as we approach the five-year anniversary, I think it's very poignant that we do get this one out here today. And I think uh, everybody will kind of take a little something from it uh, on their uh, their way to wherever they're going for the holidays. But before we wrap it up, if you can, give us a little bit of the keys to the game. Or how about this? You know, you're, you're a big fan here, the Wild Bunch, uh, All Japan. Give us a match. Uh, send us someplace to watch something to get to know Billy Black uh, if we uh, if we do feel so inclined after listening to this interview. Oh, man, there's so much good stuff. I mean, him and Deaton against the Malinkos, I feel like that's a good one. I just feel like if you go back and you watch the Real World Tag League in All Japan from 92, which obviously the Wild Bunch are part of, go out and seek that tournament and watch the whole thing and watch all those great tag teams in there and just really keep a keen eye on the Wild Bunch and Billy Black and Joel Deaton and watch that team. So it's All Japan Real World Tag League 1992 tournament. Highly, highly suggest that. And in the interview... I just think it's very interesting when we get into ECW and Paul Heyman, Smoky Mountain and Jim Cornette and speak about him really kind of rather working overseas and get paid more and then really working as much in, in, in the States as much, which is so interesting that you really at this point could make more money in Japan than in the States. So that is some interesting stuff to look out for. And I just think uh, definitely if you got the time, and I think you should watch that tag team tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Great uh, recommendation. So let's wrap it up here. Nice. If you're listening to this uh, in real time, enjoy the holiday uh, weekend and week and New Year's coming up uh, and uh, strap in because we're going to hit you with some TMPT business. And as always, all the podcasts over on the TMPT Empire, you can catch the links for JJ, the JJ Dillon podcast, the franchise on the brand where you got a couple more days to get in for free and check us out on there in video and in audio. And then, of course, ECW uh, Diva Francine with eyes up here. Uh, Big, huge year uh, for us in 2019. Uh, 2020 coming out like a house of fire in the first few weeks. The big five year anniversary. Cannot wait for that. Who knows what's around the corner uh, in this TMPT empire, but it's uh, it's always a surprise. You never know what's going to pop up. You never know who's going to be on the other end of the line. So let's wrap it up here nice, hit you with some P- TMPT business, and get it on over to the bad boy, Billy Black. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip, and at Rasslin' Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Frank Scene's store, and of course, 
the franchise Shane Douglas store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a former Smoky Mountain Wrestling Television Champion, a former All Japan Pro Wrestling All Asia Tag Team Champion, he is one half of the Wild Bunch. He is the best boy, Billy Black. Please enjoy. television champion he is the bad boy himself billy black billy black welcome to the show how are you doing sir i am doing very very good it's great to be speaking to you because I feel like you're kind of one of those underrated guys that came from that great crop of all japan pro wrestling and that's kind of where i'll start because you made such an impact there and we had on joel deaton a, a while back and obviously that was a great partner of yours but how did you, who you know, who's a good old you know Southern boy? How'd you get into All Japan Pro Wrestling with Giant Baba? Well, I was supposed, to, I, you know, I'm real good friends with Abdullah Butcher, and and I talked to Abdullah Butcher for about a year ago with another guy, and um, at the last minute they were some kind of complications with the other guy, and um, they uh kind of put me and Joel together because me and Joel had worked in Global Wrestling Federation as a tag team for only SPN. And when they put us together, um, he asked me, he said, hey, you know, he said, I'm working in Japan, and um, I know you don't have a partner to go to Japan with. And so they tag teamed us up, and we went over there. I mean, we probably hadn't worked 25 or 30 matches together, and um, we were just learning each other's style. And we went to Japan, and then it was, we, we took off like wildfire. And that is great that 
in the way certain things happen where, you know, you're not supposed to go to Japan or you can, you know, it, the, the way it kind of just works out sometimes. That's really cool. And I'll definitely want to get back to global, but I just wanted to kind of stick on all Japan. Was that a little bit of a culture shock for you going over there and having to deal with obviously a totally, totally different audience and a different crowd and even a different lifestyle? Well, you know, I'd, I'd grown up, um, I've, uh, working, um, doing um, uh, amateur wrestling and doing um, uh, what do you call the uh, the fights where you put the gloves on and get the ring. Um, many contests, and I've done several of them. So, you know, shoot fighting was not a was, was not nothing that was any part new to me at all. You know, I mean that that was right down my alley. So when I got there. They asked me, they said, you don't mind getting stiff, do you? I said, no. I said, you don't mind me getting stiff, do you? Hmm. And so, and I know Stan Hansen and a lot of, you know, Terry Bam Bam Gordy. I'd worked with all those guys, Steve Williams. I'd worked with all those guys over here in the States. So when it comes time to going out there, I mean, along with the high flying and the being stiff and knowing how to work, you know, they, they always have a little bit of martial arts mixed in with their wrestling over there. And, um, it kind of worked out great for me. It was it was more like the style that I really liked wrestling and working, but you know you couldn't do that kind of work over the states without getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, and obviously that style is super stiff, and obviously there's an element to it where it's a little snug or, or whatever you want to say, a little bit more realistic. I would say is that the the style I guess you were kind of used to, but is that your preferred style? I mean that that would be your that basically that all Japan style is your favorite type style of wrestling. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't call it my favorite. I, I, I really like working any style. I mean, that you throw me in there with anybody. It's like, I'm like, a, uh, you can mix me up with Bob Armstrong one night, and put me in there with Manny Fernandez the next night. And I, you know, Steve Austin the next night in Texas, I can, I can go either way. And, um, but when I got over there and, um, I worked the first couple of nights. He worked some older guys, and Baba said, I wanted you to be a little stiffer. I said, can you put me in there with somebody that was younger? And then like, I don't mind hurting. And so the next night, he put me in there with Zawa and Kawada. <laughs> and the, the third night, they really got to see me lighten up. Because when you were in there with Mazawa and Kawada, you had to go. Now, I don't know. Obviously, you would hope everyone is is very familiar with them, but I don't know how familiar some of our fans are. Those two guys, Masawa and Kawada, arguably the two greatest wrestlers of the '90s. I mean, you could throw Kenta Kobashi in there too, but I, I mean, Masawa and Kawada, especially that feud together, just amazing. So, did you know about them beforehand? Were you familiar with them because they were two of the biggest stars of the '90s in all Japan? Never knew a word about him, never knew anything about him. I knew a little bit about Kenta Kabashi because, you know, I'd worked with some people that had trained with him. And um, actually, but I got to work out in the ring with him for like four or five days before I had to work him. And then when we got in the ring, we come back, he told me, he said, next time I'd be more cemento, which means stiff, because, you know, I really took it to him and he was expecting that. And then, Baba pulled me off to the side, and Baba said, you know, he said, I thought after the first couple of nights, you wasn't going to be able to handle Japan. He said, and what I realize now is, you ready for Japan. He said, I don't know if Japan's ready for you, but you're here. Hmm. 
And so, <laughs> oh yeah, we went. We went from there, and um, I worked a lot of matches with, you know, I, I never was. I was either in the fourth, fifth, or sixth match. I was never in a first match, third, fourth, you know, I mean, second, first, you know, third. I was even, I, I was in one of the top three matches every night. I mean, it was in, I was a main eventer from that day forward, and um, I enjoyed it. You know, looking back on the films, you can look at it today. I was prepared when I went over there physically. Mentally, I mean, it was, it was just something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed their style, you know. Such a great, great style. I always implore fans to definitely check out Old Japan in that time period, especially because that arguably might be the greatest roster of wrestlers and some of the greatest matches of all time. Oh, I mean, yeah. Just my guys, I mean, they mean it, the guys we were talking about. But, you know, right? I mean, am I right on that saying that's arguably one of the greatest rosters? I would say in in the early nineties, the All Japan Pro roster was probably the best roster that any company's ever had. I mean, that includes I worked ECW, I worked with Smoky Mountain, I worked some with WCW, worked some with WWE. I worked with every company. I mean, Germany, you know, and England. But that company right there, that they had the best workers. I mean, they had the best guys on the card. And I mean, all of them was willing to go out there and work their rear end off every night. We didn't play no games. I mean, if you couldn't take it, you best pack your bags and go home. What a, an amazing roster. I absolutely love that roster. So many great guys. You and Joel Deaton teaming together is almost not, I wouldn't say forgotten, but I feel like a lot of people always think, you know, the Malinkos or uh, Dynamite and Johnny Smith or the Can-Am Express or um, Williams Gordon. I mean, there's, and all the, obviously, all the Japanese guys, but there's so many great guys. But you and Joel had a great, great chemistry. I know you teamed with them before in Global and obviously a lot in, in all Japan. Is that something you guys had easy? Was that Did that come easy to you, the chemistry you guys had? Oh, yeah. You know, Joel, I got you know, to give it to Joel as far as the psychology goes. You know, when it comes to uh, psychology and when it comes to, uh, I guess you would call it politics, Joel's really good at that. And so, and you know, and he's been around a while. He's wrestled with just about everybody that's ever been to anyone in the ring. So he knows how to take a good punch and he knows how to give a good punch, you know. You know, there's sometimes that we get a little bit more stiff than Joel can handle and he's, you see him roll to the floor. Because they get when I got in there and they they stiffed me, I stiffed them back. I didn't care, you know. I, it didn't bother me how stiff we got. He didn't quite want to go as stiff as I did sometimes, but you know, he would eventually get back in there and 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 we we had so many di- different moves and so many different things that we worked on. I mean, we we would get to the arena, arena early every day, and we would get out there and we would work with the young guys and we came up with a our own repertoire. And I mean. The first tour we was over there, we won the All Asian World Tag Team titles, and that's no one's ever done that in Japan, especially with All Japan Pro. What did you think about winning the tag titles when you first did? Because obviously, like you like you mentioned, that is a huge honor. Not a lot of guys can say that, or really nobody can say that. So, were you surprised that they gave you the titles right away? Well, it, you know, I was. You know, when when we stood there and. The thumb, Baba and Andre stood there, and the thumb went up. It was kind of like, whoa, you know, we, I, I, I really wasn't expecting it. Joel wasn't expecting it. 
and I mean, but you know, the honor, you know, looking back, I mean, 30 years almost, you know, and um, I mean, like that was one of the biggest things that could ever happen in anyone's career. And looking back, it was one of the best things that ever happened in my career. I was floored when it happened, but I knew when we went out there. And the biggest thing that probably most people don't understand, and one of the reasons why me and Joel get shunned the most is because Johnny Laranitis was tag teaming with Johnny Ace, and he's the one that got pinned, and he's the one that took probably the most blunt of the blow. I mean, if you look on YouTube, you don't get to see it that much, but if any fan out there really wants to know about professional wrestling, get on YouTube, look up all Japan Pro, especially in the 90s, in the early part of the 90s, that is. If you you will not, I guarantee you, you can watch the show from beginning to end, and you will not be bored. I promise you that. I 100% agree on that. And you and Joel beat Johnny H, and you beat Kento Kobashi. You win the tag titles. A little bit of a, of a shocking moment because you guys won, but it's it definitely a great moment. What was Ace like at that point? Obviously, there are so many people have so many opinions of him. But what about Johnny? Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace. What are your opinions of him? Um, well, you know, it, a lot of people have different opinions on him for different reasons because, you know, like the job he's gotten uh, WWE and the job he had in uh, WCW, it's more like, you know, he was shot. He was a big man. You know, he, when somebody didn't do right, they've always put it on him, the fireman stuff, you know, stuff like that. But he didn't have that spot at that time. He was out there and he wrestled with us. And um, he really didn't. He was he was more of the lost will in that you know that tag team match. Yeah, he was he wasn't quite as ready to fight like me and Joel and me and and, and Kenta Kabashi. And me and Kenta Kabashi was probably in the ring more of that match than anybody else because me and Kenta Kabashi loved that style. We was dedicated to it. You know, anything that happened, we you know. We was ready for it. I mean, and Johnny kind of got mad because he did lose that match, you know. And, I mean, he's had it taken off of YouTube several times. And, and you know, I guess the position he's got with Vince now, you know, he can just about get anything he wants taken off. And that's one of the matches he don't want people to see more than anything in the world because he didn't look good in that match at all. And we went out there and we gave him all we had. And, and it was probably a little more than what Johnny was prepared to do he definitely had a good spot though in all japan for sure i mean team of the Kobashi is great was the tag champ obviously before you guys beat him but you feel like he was always the political animal he was a very political i mean you know he you know and that's where i you go back to politics joe you know joe verdeen's very good at politics also you know and i'm in politics you know Politics, you know what politics is all about. You know, we're dealing with it in America, the country right now, with all kind of politics. You know, it's it's, it's, it's not what it looks like on the on, in front of everybody. It's not what it looks like, but behind the scenes, they have more pull. And Johnny always had some resentment toward me after that match, and eventually, what me having to me losing my spot in Japan was basically boiled down to Johnny Ace not wanting me over there because none of the guys could handle me. You know, I mean, they could put me out there with uh, Kenda Kabashi. They could put me out there with Mizawa and Kawada, which 
Kawada was one of the toughest men you ever seen, but when he hit me, I'd hit him right back just as hard as he hit me, and that was something he didn't understand. He had never had any, especially an American, hit him that hard. He had had some Japanese guys that would hit him that hard, and he knew when to back off, but American, he didn't want to back off. He wanted to make sure he stood up there and fought the hardest, and, you know, sometimes, but, you know, my, my skill coming up was uh, amateur wrestling and martial arts. I studied in several different martial arts, and I'm glad I did because when I got there and I needed it, it was there for me to have. Now, your departure, basically 92, I'm not sure if you end up going back, but you're saying that Johnny Ace was kind of to blame. There's only a certain amount of gaijin spots, I guess, on the card. Is that how it works? Well, it, it was, you can say that, but it was kind of like they wasn't never, you know, he wasn't going to get pushed back to the top. And, um, you know, I can say that about several other of the workers that was on that that was on guy jeans that you call them and well what i'd call everybody in japan calls them guy jeans which means americans or foreigners and um they was they didn't under you know that i just kept building my repertoire up as it went by the time you know when we got to the late uh 90s i mean 96 later part of 92 you know there wasn't much they could do they could you know if they tried to go roughhouse on me, it kind of went south for them fast. And, you know, Mike Golden, which is a guy that I respect very dearly, they tag-teamed us up here in America for a while. And then they took us back apart because there was nobody that could go out there and work the way we worked. I mean, we was, you know, we worked snug or we could work light. But, you know, when it comes time, to, if you tried to go out there and you tried to push us around, that was the wrong thing to do. So then most people went back to the politics. The only way they could get rid of you is politics. And, you know, I just, you know, looking back, I understand more now than I did then. And that's why I always say Joel Deaton handled politics more than I did. Because, you know, he was more the political guy. And, you know, I was more the wrestler. And you had definitely a great run. I was- Side of the tag matches, obviously winning the tag titles and you guys lose it to the Can-Am Express, Furnace and Crawford, but quite a run and amazing. But just looking at some of the matches, and you can, you can catch some of them on YouTube and various places, but wrestling Kobashi one-on-one, wrestling Misawa one-on-one, is that kind of, you know, at that point, elevating your status, not only in Japan, but kind of in the States when they see you wrestling these big names over in Japan? Oh, yes, sir. And, um, you know, um, Joel got injured uh, around the 1st of 92, so Joel was basically out most of 92, and I was there by myself. And so, you know, I worked Stan Hansen one-on-one. I worked Andre one-on-one. I worked Baba, Tyway, uh Jumbo. I mean, I worked everyone, you know, from, from Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, you know, and, and Danny Spivey, you know, one of the great one one of the nicest guys you ever meet when you get in the ring with him, you know, you it's a different ball game when that bell rings, it's the show's on. And um but then you know, me and Danny Spivey had great matches together. And and we used to talk about Can Am Express, you know, and Doug Furnace was one of the one of the nicest and great guys you could ever meet and in the ring he was a tough guy. But uh Danny Crawford, that was one of the he was about like me. He knew how to do martial arts. He could wrestle amateur style. He could wrestle, he could shoot. I mean, you know, Danny Crockett was another guy that was never got the 
dues he deserved because he, he was that good. Another guy like yourself, underrated guy that kind of, if you watch him, never has a bad match and kind of adapt to different styles. Is always kind of in it, if you will, in the match. It's always a good match. In Japan, you also team with the Patriot. Uh, you wrestled uh, the Young Bloods. I mean, there's so many, even Barry, hell, Barry Horowitz, great underrated worker, was in all Japan for a little bit. So many great guys kind of went through all Japan. It, it, it's just like almost mind-boggling. But what were the, the fans and, and the crowds like? over there in Japan because, you know, you always hear that they're more respectful and things like that, but in some of the All-Japan matches, or a lot of the All-Japan matches I've seen, the crowd does get really into it. They're not always sitting on their hands. They do get really into it. Well, when I first, like I when I first started, the first probably uh, two weeks, I, I, I went through a lot of that sitting on the thing, heard them, you know, they, you, didn't, you didn't hear them. It was like you could hear a pin drop in the arena. And um, then as I snugged up and started giving them what they wanted, you know, started flying over the top rope, jumping on the top corner post, diving over the rail, doing the moonstalk from the top uh, post to the floor. Them people, that's when they get up and start cheering for you. You got to do something to make them get up and cheer, you, you know. And then, you know, first time I did, uh, I think it was the moonsault to the floor, and um, that was like in 91 on Jinta Kabashi. The first time, and I've done that many, you know, many throughout my whole career. After that, um, they started chatting my name, and I, I, I looked around, and I was, I was kind of dumbfounded because they didn't do that. They didn't do that for the Japanese guys, much less American guy. And that's where I got a lot, a lot of, I got a lot of heat in the Gaijin dressing room, and a lot of jealousy came around because. They knew they was going to get that same kind of response out of the, the Japanese crowd that I did. You know, me and Stan Hansen, Abdullah Butcher, there was a few of us that got that kind of response. And when you do that, <laughs> you're relatively a young guy and a new guy on the on the, on the roster. That kind of, kind of uh, shakes up some of the older guys that's been there a little longer than you. But I was doing what I had to do to get over, and I was doing what they wanted to see. And when they've seen it, they liked it, and that was what I liked performing. Like, I mean, you know, and so that's why Bob will probably match me and Mazawa, me and Kawada in singles, me and uh, Kabashi. I mean, more than any other singles match, I had more singles matches probably with the top guys than any other Gaiji or a foreigner. And anybody I knew of it at that time. Was your last run there a part of that real world tag league in '92? That was actually the last time you were in all Japan. No, sir. I went back with Tokyo Pro, and I worked over there with Tokyo Pro for a while, also. Right, uh, many years later. Right, or maybe three or four years later. Uh yeah, it was, uh, I think, in 2005. So, draft, I came back from, you know, I went to Smoky Mountain. I worked there for a while. Then I went to ECW, and I worked in ECW. And um, I went up there with Bull Buchanan, and then, like, the second or third month, I can't remember what it was, he just didn't show up at the airport. Come to find out, Vince put him up under some uh, underdevelopmental contract. He never even gave me a phone call, said he wasn't going to be there or anything. And um, 
So I went in and uh, and got Rob Van Dam to come in. And Rob Van Dam came in as my tag partner. In the beginning, when he came to ECW, he was my tag partner. And um, we worked. Um, I remember one of the best matches we had was up in Queens. We worked um, uh, franchise, franchise uh, Shane, uh, Shane Douglas and Sandman. And that was a pretty, you know, and um, and then after that, they had me with um, Damien and Miss Alexandria and worked against Paul Mahoney and Axel and all those pretty tough matches. You know, they, they always put on a, I mean, them two guys like there, God rest their souls, they worked hard. They put everything they had, you know, and I was new to either one of them, I'd work with them in, um, Smoky Mountains. So, you know, when I got up there, it was, you know, work with New Jack and Mustafa and, you know, and, and most people know about New Jack. And, you know, he's un, he's unorthodox. And, but it didn't bother me because I was prepared for whatever happened. Now, you mentioned ECW and Rob Van Dam. What was the relationship like with Rob Van Dam? You knew him prior to ECW? Yes, sir. He came down to uh, North Carolina and worked for Mid-Atlantic and I probably worked for about a year you know he was he was the lightest everything he did was light as a feather he had never done anything high real high risk other than the split-legged moonsault and so they put him with me for I mean at least two to three times a month for a year and you know I had to start off slow because I scared him. first night I scared him so bad I think he was he didn't want to work. And then after that, I told him, I said, look, we're going to go over some things. And um, it's going to be stiff, but I know you can handle it. And as you know, and he, he became, he, he became the, the whole effing show, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Because he, he, he would go out there and work that style. I mean, you know, he had worked with uh, Dory and, Dory Funk Jr., you know, and and Dory Funk Jr. and Al Perez was another team that came to Japan and we worked against. And I enjoyed working with, you know. I mean, there was a lot of people that came to Japan, a lot of guys that didn't get um, the chance to work on the top of the card in America that got to work on the top of the card in Japan. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It is great looking at some of the – Japanese cars and seeing Dory Funk and obviously yourself put into it, but it's great to see the mix of legendary Gaijins, the Japanese guys, the kind of the under the radar guys like yourself. I, I love always kind of looking back and trying to, to find those matches and, and kind of really look at it and say, wow, you know, this is a shitload of talent here. I mean, it's great. But, you know, with ECW, just kind of wanted to go back to ECW. You mentioned you, know, yeah, right. you started with you started with Bull. They put you with RVD. But how did you yourself get into ECW? Um, um, I gave I gave uh, Paul a call, and Paul said, "Shoot me a video." I shot him a video, and two weeks later, um, Joy Styles called me, and and I gotta I gotta take my hat off to Joy Styles. A lot of people don't know what all Joy Styles did with uh, ECW. Joy Styles was, was a he was, what he, you know, some people say I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. Well, Joy Styles was a master on that microphone, but he was a, you know, he was a jack of all trades with everything else. I mean, he handled flights and everything. And I worked in, I worked real good with Joy Styles, you know, until 
certain things that happened in the company and we won't go into that because that's just, you know, that's sad news, but, you know, but uh, we work, you know, I work with them and I work after, after you kind of left, I work with a lot of singles matches, you know, work, you know, work a lot of, you know, doubles matches with other guys, you know, and, um, it was a great company to work for. I mean, at that time, it was just getting off the ground real good, you know. And But, you know, by the same token, I, I never got to work my Japanese style over there at the same time. And, um, I, you know, there's, you know, they, I could, you could point fingers at who didn't want me to shine on that card because of they was trying to do all of my moves that they saw me do in Japan when their uncle brought them over there. He, we got some one guy. I won't call his name, but his uncle brought him over there, and, and we met him at a uh, Ribera Steakhouse in Japan. Me and Abdullah Butcher, and I spent a lot of time with that kid. And you know, he eventually wound up doing most of all of my stuff. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> but you know, eventually he wound up with a body that was in worse shape than mine. Also, because you can't go out there and do every night and not know how to land exactly right. And not take the risk that you don't know you can do and make sure you take the risk that you know you can do without, you know, you don't come out with bruises, sprains, you don't come out hurting. Every tour we come off of that, we went living back home. And even with ECW, every time I went to ECW, I'd be up there for probably uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes maybe Sunday. And when I got back home, I knew I'd been there. I got to mention to know because I, I believe you're talking about Sabu who you wrestled in ECW <laughs> and, and in, in Tokyo Pro uh, in Japan. So what, yes, I guess sir. I guess we could say not a great relationship with Sabu? Well, you know, um, I wouldn't say not a great relationship, but, you know, he was uh, one of those guys that wanted to be pushed to the top and Size-wise and ability-wise, he wasn't ready for it. And but you know, according to him, he thought he was. And you, you know, just as, as, as take for instance, one night we was in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and he pulls a table out and lays it on the table. I said, "This is a real wooden table, Sabu. You can't break it." He said, "You let me worry about that." So he puts the chair in the ring, chair hits the ropes, does a flip lands on my chest and bounces in the third row. The chair don't go, the table don't go nowhere, neither do I. It was the plywood. They took the table and and took an old broken table and stuck those legs up under a ply, piece of plywood, and it wasn't going to break, not for him at all. I mean, you know, weight-wise, at the time, I think he was maybe 170 pounds, something like that, and I was like 240, 250. Wow, it's... Uh... I, and I've seen obviously these tables in, in person, and I've been to the arena, and I got a nice little tour of of all the, the broken tables and stuff. And it's uh, it looks like a, a painful experience. Anything to do with those tables, the amount of broken tables, and there's some that look like they aren't meant to be broken. So, I, and I know Sabu has has been a a victim of those tables that haven't broken. I know he's been then you know, but on the other side where he's broken all these tables. Obviously, it's left him with a, a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, scars, a lot, a lot of blood has, has been spilt all over the years. So, obviously, I wouldn't, I won't say he, he took your style or anything like that, but you're saying he did take a, a lot of your moves and he was a little too risky to wrestle on yeah. the ring. 
Yes, like I, I watched just yesterday, I watched something I had never seen before. Someone sent it to me. It was Ray Mysterio and Sabu hits the chair, jumps on the rope, and goes to DDT. Um, Ray Mysterio onto the table. Well, only like a foot of the table broke, and Ray Mysterio didn't touch none of the table. And Sabu just got a little bit of the table because when he jumped over the rope, he still he didn't go up in the air and stop his forward momentum, so he pushed the table off the ring. And, you know, stuff like that, he didn't, you know, and, and I got to give credit to uh, working with some stunt people up in Samoa, Georgia, and um, years ago, before I, while I was start not wrestling when I was young, I did a lot of stunts with a lot of people and um, some famous Hollywood people, you know, so, and they, they taught me, you know, I can do, I've done dives from second store balconies, third store balconies, two tables on top of guys. And then when they saw me do all that, they wanted to go up there and do it. I mean, like, for instance, the, you go to the New Jack thing. New Jack broke his feet, broke his leg. I mean, you know, wind up with real bad shape now because they didn't realize the things that I was doing. I knew what to do, and I was I knew how to handle it. And I knew I was more than taking care of myself. I was taking care of the other guy. And that's something you don't see in the wrestling business anymore. And especially with New Jack and Sabu, they were definitely doing some damage to their opponents as well as oh, yeah. to their own body. That, that's, that's for sure. Yes, sir. And, 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 you know, it was sad because there was plenty of veterans around there telling both those guys, hey, if you do it this way and you prep it this way, it won't, you know, you won't have that problem. And, then they go out there the next week and do the same thing again, and you'd go, well, you know, I'm just waiting. And, and as I, to, I told um, Don, Ron Harris one time, he said, he said, I just told, I said, Ron, I mean, you know, you can tell him a thousand times, but I don't mean he's going to change. I seen him in Japan, go jump on the chair, hit the top rope, and jump out on the table, didn't break. This is after the match was over, and he did it like five times, and the table barely cracked, and finally they had to help him off. And he couldn't work for three or four days because he wanted to break a table. Hmm. It didn't make sense. I mean, you know, the, even the Japanese people was going like, oh, oh, you know, what what the heck is he doing? He didn't win the match, so he's taking it out on the table? <laughs> <laughs> uh, evidently, yeah. But that is a, a strange way to go about it. So you're in yeah. in, in 96. Um, you're going along, obviously, you know, you said you're, you're wrestling in there with the franchise, Sandman, Sabu, Mikey Whipwreck, all their top guys, all their top acts, even the Eliminators. So when you're there, is that like a contract thing? Do you think you're going to be there for a long time? What's the uh, the time frame there well, as far as your status? At the time I went there, there was, there was a contract thing. You know, later on, Paul came up to me on two different occasions and you know, my grandmother was full blood Italian, so and they wanted to work me that way. But at that point, you know, I knew a little bit about what was going on with the company, and it was headed toward the wrong direction. And you know, which it only lasted like two more years, and then you seen Paul come out on WCW, and he had done talked to all the boys three days earlier and told them, you know, they just had did that big Canada tour where they sold everything they had out. And nobody got paid. And so when you see, you know, when you hear that stuff, the boys, you know, you're going to hear it if you're one of the boys. And it was sad because 
you know, you don't know who to blame it on because you couldn't blame it on Paul. You couldn't blame it on Todd. There were so many, uh, you know, some people say they got too many irons in the fire. It was too many hands in the pot, you know. And so trying to figure out where the money went was a big deal. But, man, like, uh, I tell you, me, Saturn and Cronus, me and uh, we first, when I first got there, me and Bill Buchanan were, I think our first match was against Saturn and Coronas. And at that time, they was pretty straight. They wasn't either one of them. You know, they drank some beer and all that, and that's about all. And we had one great match. I mean, you know, Barry was lost, or Bull was lost. He didn't. He really didn't understand that kind of match. He just he was young and green, and you know, we was doing some pretty intense stuff. So I, I was in the ring probably about eighty percent of the match. And at one time. He was on the floor and he, he didn't get up for like 10 minutes. I mean, he just, I think, I don't know if he was that nervous or he just didn't know what to do next. He was not used to that style. Uh, I yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, because they was working a lot like the uh, uh, New Japan and uh, the Asian style wrestling. I mean, they was doing strong style and um, a lot of uh, Americans didn't, and guy jeans or foreigners didn't know much about that, you know, and working or, and, but now like working with, uh, the next Lucha Luchadors. I mean, you can work the Luchadors that style all day long. If you want, and you're talking about somebody who take care of your body, then Luchadors take care of your body. Like more, I mean, you know, just like I would take care of their body. I mean, there's only a couple of my, that they was bad things I could say about me. But pretty much, they've already told the story on TV, and people done fired them because of stuff like that. And everybody knows it all now, so I don't have to sit back and tell you my theory. Of it. <laughs> so you left ECW, you know, obviously they had had money issues in 2001. They ended up closing the doors. Paul Heyman wasn't even there. He ended up on WWF TV, you know, and and the story goes on and on. But at that point in '96, around that time, you kind of and we're a little bit worried about the pay, which we'd find out later on. A lot of guys didn't get paid. And, you know, you kind of end up back in Japan. But I did want to mention um, Smoky Mountain because we briefly just talked about it. So you, oh, working, yes, in ECW, you know, working in ECW is one thing, working for Paul Heyman, but basically working for the exact opposite guy in Jim Cornette. So what was it like working for Jim Cornette? Well, I, I tell you, I re- me and Jim Gordon Hitz have always, has always had a good working relationship, and um, you know, I got uh, you know mainly up there. I worked, I worked from um, Boo Bradley, who was uh, later on was Balls Mahoney, uh, Al Snow, um, Brian uh, Logan. I mean, you know, I worked and I worked. Uh, I do believe I worked uh, George South up there once or twice too. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I worked some very good talent up there. I mean, and it was a great place to go. But the only problem that I got to say happened there was they had the wrong guy running the money and the wrong guy over the money at the time. And you know, Paul wouldn't be at every show. So when Paul wasn't at the show, you know. The guys didn't get the the money was kind of shaky and shifting, and so you know, you know, it was kind of a little punky deal. You know, you didn't get all your mm. money, and, and so I just leave it at that. You pretty much got what I was saying there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
and um, so at, at that point, I, you know, I, I told Jimmy, I said, look, man, you know, we made a deal and, the, you know, and, and I left there and, and I can, you know, I hate to say it, one of the only companies that to this day left owing me money. Oh, wow. But, you know, I left, I left there one night and I was, I went to a, get gas in my car. And this is a story that I, probably very few people have ever heard. And I was, went to, the, I got gas and I, it was a little, um, it was, it was snowing and everything. So I went over there and drove over there with my, I had a little Honda car. It was good on gas, gas and I was a great little car. I loved it. And pulled over there at the phone and was having a window roll down and, um, talked, called home and let everybody know how I was doing. And before I left, I was going to go in the store and grab me some a pack of peanuts and a Pepsi or something and then go get me a motel room. Well, as I was walking up there, I seen a guy come out of there and shoot other, another guy point blank in the head. And then I was standing 10 feet behind him and automatically he just started shooting at me. I got one bullet went, which was just an in and out flesh wound and one stuck in my chest and, you know, I never went to the hospital or nothing. I went home and, you know, put super glue on it and got me some cruises, pulled the one out of my chest and put my, you know, and uh, my wife is a veterinarian technician, so <laughs> she kind of picked, packed me up like a dog and that was good to go. But, you know, it was three or four weeks before I could even get out and move around because, I mean, it was it, it was a pretty serious thing and there wasn't no need to call uh, and talk about it because, you know, I knew the situation that was going on at the time, and everybody there was in altered states of minds. And so, and, and you know, I didn't mind drinking and having a good time with everybody. But when it came time for business, I was always putting business first. So, I, you know, I got healed up from that. When I got healed up from that, I went up worked for Paul. You know, work. I still work with Georgia. Anywhere in the United States, they call me. I went and worked. You know, worked all over the United States, and um, some in Canada, a little bit in Mexico, and then the, the Paul called me. And then when Paul called me, the money started. Uh, I was, you know, I did a check. And I didn't have to wait two weeks for it. For it. you know, I called the bank. Called the bank. And they say it hadn't went through yet, and then might have went through two or three weeks later. So I just walked away from that. And um, then I was going down 75 one day, and I looked beside me, and they were Mercedes, and the sky was just a flag. And when I looked over there, it was Abdullah Butcher. And hmm. then he called me, hey man, we've been looking for you. We want you to go to work with uh, Tokyo Pro. So then I went, I went to work with Tokyo Pro, and worked with Sabu and Tuco Scorpio, who is one of the nicest guys you ever meet, and one of the best workers you'll ever wrestle in the ring with. Love a two cold Scorpio, but I do have to rewind because you just told him. I mean, Jesus Christ, you just told an amazing story. So you got <laughs> shot up and you didn't go to the hospital. That's kind of um, a little crazy, don't you think? Well, sir, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll, every time I move my bag up, I have a needle that's got thread on it. You saw puppy tail. You know, I raised Rottweilers most of my life, and and I when you sew the tails up, I kept that up. And kept super glue in my bag. So, I mean, I remember times I super glued guys' noses back on their face, the ears, bottom of the ears back on, and no scars or nothing left behind it because 
you just learn that stuff around the business after so long. And um, I, I, I sested myself. I wasn't bleeding real bad, you know. And um, I got, you know, I put, you know, I stopped, got me some wrist. As I got out of that parking lot, first thing I did was got the heck out of that parking lot. Got about a mile down the road, pulled over to another parking lot, got out and put some bandages over my chest and t- the, put some wrist tape over that. And on my side where it took the in and out bullet went, I taped that up till I got home. And then, you know, like I said, went home and told mama, I said, hey, I got, I got some uh, stuff I need you to patch up here. <laughs> you know, she's been, she's been a, a veterinary technician for ever since she, she would come out of college, you know, so she knew how to fix me up about as good as any doc. I mean, I broke my ankles before and went to stop by the vet clinic, put um, fiberglass cast on my foot, went home, put a 13 size boot on it for the next night, went back out and wrestled the very next night. You are arguably, now that I know the story that I never knew before, you're arguably one of the all-time tough guys. I mean, Jesus, the the stuff that you, you go through and you don't go to the hospital and you're like, oh, I took three weeks off and I went back to work. Uh, I think if normal person got shot, they would say, ah, oh, just glue it and stitch up. You know what I mean? I think a normal person would say, oh, I'm going to the, the, the hospital. I'm, I'm getting this uh, checked out. No, like four days after I got shot, I worked Mr. Wrestling number two in a 30-minute Broadway. Oh, my God. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I took a whole lot of time off. I didn't go back up there. But, you know, but when, I, when I'm working in the business, you know, I work with the Oaks Brothers and Rocket Monroe, Mr. Wrestling Number 2. You know, I started out at a young age. And um, most of that, nobody ever hears about and sees about now because I went up. A, a lot of times I wrestled up under masks and um, different names, you know. So most people would have never realized I'd done it. I, mean, I think I... I was at 1987. I won the Rookie of the Year, and I'd been wrestling since '80. Huh. Wow! <laughs> but you know that, that's the way the business goes. Until you get to the big boys, you know you don't, they don't really associate most of the independent organizations. Or back then they was called outlaw organizations because they back then you know it was it, it was the territory era. And the territory era was just starting to fade out at that time, which I love the territory era because you can go somewhere, you can stay there for a couple of months, and then you can go to the next territory. And you was there for a couple of months, you know. You are so under the radar that obviously the territory system can't work, and people, if you're under a mask or something, people might not recognize you. But it's pretty under the radar that you've been wrestling since 1980, 1987, they finally start to recognize you and they call you Rookie of the Year. Uh, funny business. Uh, I, I guess that was the, the time period, though, where you can kind of, you know, be a little bit more under the radar and, and kind of go from territory to territory without everyone necessarily realizing it. Nowadays, with the Internet, I think everyone knows everything. And we're, we're wrestler uh, wrestled, you know, on a Sunday and then where they wrestle the next Saturday. I mean, I feel like nowadays you can find that information pretty easily. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, and I, and I got, like I, like I said a while ago, Mike Golden. I mean, he's like a brother to me. I mean, one night I, come, I I pulled up in the building, and I had a hood on, I got out in my truck, and Mike Golden screams out my name loud as he could. I just took the mask off and threw it back in my truck, and I went there and told the guy, hey, look, man, 
There ain't no way I can wrestle with a mask on no more because Mike Golden just buried me. So that was that was one of the last times I ever wore a mask. Mike Golden said, look, you look tougher and can out-wrestle 90% of these guys in here. Why are you wearing a mask? I said, hey, you, just, well, you know, you just get comfortable with it after a while. Hmm. That is true. I do want to mention back to Smoky Mountain, though, because Joel Deaton pops up yet again. They give you the team name Wild Bunch. So I know you were talking about Mike Golden kind of being a buddy of yours, being a partner, yeah, yeah. but Joel Deaton now, me, me, and Joe, me and Joel Deaton, me and Joel Deaton worked in uh, Smoky Mountain at first. And before I went back as a, as a single, me and him worked tag team with a bunkhouse buck, Jimmy Golden. Mm-hmm. And yep. we was we was called the Wild we was called the Wild Bunch at that time. And um, you know, we worked a lot of matches with Bobby Fulton and Jackie Fulton and Tommy Rogers, God rest his soul, one of the greatest wrestlers. You, you know, talk about me being underrated. You look at Tommy Rogers and Jody Simon, which is Joe Malenko. That guy is one of the most underrated. Everybody gives his brother the credit for being this and, you know, being tough. Dean Malenko has nothing on Jody Malenko. Jody Malenko could out-wrestle him any day of the week, work, work, work out in the gym harder than he could. I mean, but then again, you know, he wasn't real good friends with Johnny Ace, so there you go. There goes that political story again. Oh, yeah. you got to play those uh, political games. In Smoky Mountain, though, I, I just want to stick on that for just a second. Yeah, great, great. You do, you do win the um, Beat the Clock, the, the, television ch- the television title. And a vacating. Yes, sir. Was that because of the whole shooting thing? Is that why you vacated the TV title? Yes, or is yes, that a separate sir. incident altogether? No, no. That that was the reason why I vacated it because I got shot. And I, you know. Okay. And, and I, after my wife passed me up, I went to my doctor the very next Monday. And, you know, he told me, he said, you know, you don't need to be doing no more, you know, riding up there. And up there, I was working balls Mahoney. Um, and, you know, and... A lot of guys, and we, I was having to go wide open on, you know, because when the red light's on, you got to go. And um, my doctor told me, he said, he said, you know, you got to slow down for at least three or four weeks. And, um, you know, so I had to back off and I worked Mr. Rasmus number two. And so all people say, that don't sound like slowing down. I'm like, well, you know, it really wasn't. But, you know, it appeased my doctor. So, you know, I didn't get bust that too much. But he was telling me that the, the you know, you need to stick closer to home, basically is what he was saying, in case something happened, you mm-hmm. know, because there was, you know, I was on some very high uh, antibiotics and all because, you know, when you get shot, there's a, there's a few things that goes along with that. And that I, you know, I, I've never been shot before. I don't shoot people, you know, so I didn't know nothing about that. So, and the poor fellow that got shot, you know, he had a handful of money that falls on the ground and, that guy's grabbing the money, and it's, then you see this other girl with him, and she's great, running around grabbing the money, too. And you could tell they weren't nothing but dope addicts, and they were just out to rob anybody they could. And um, so I, the first thing I did when I got to the next parking lot stop was I called the law enforcement and told them, because I just had got back in the city of Atlanta. And they told me, they said, we already got somebody heading that way. And so, you know, the next week I went back up there and, told them what I knew, you know, gave descriptions and all, but it was pretty much, 
you know, you couldn't tell who the guy was that did it. I mean, I barely got to see his face. I mean, once the guy's gun pointed toward me, I didn't see much face. I'll, you know, it was time for me to head the other way. Oh, yeah. Scary, scary incident. Did Cornette, when you told him, did he actually believe the story? Or was he skeptical? I never, I never told him. To this oh, day, never I never told, told him. him. No, wow. there wasn't no sense to tell him. But I got cheated out of my money. He didn't call me asking me about that. So why in the world was I going to tell him about what happened on the uh, reason why I didn't show back up the next day? Huh. He should ask Punky. He should ask Punky why I didn't show up the next day. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that is, you uh, know, it, yeah. I'm an easygoing guy. You pay me right, you treat me right, it's the money, and, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a uh, type of guy that if, if, if you go to a building and it's not sold out and, and, and the money's not there, you just tell me the money's not there and I'll handle myself. But when you know the money's there and a guy refuses to give you just so much and you know what you're supposed to be getting paid and he's going to sit there and argue with you, and you know the guy's so messed up, he don't know what he's saying. He, you'd ask him today, and he wouldn't remember it. So I just walked away. I even told his partner, you know, I, I, I turned around and said, hey, you know, I ain't going to deal with this, and I walked away. Uh, i tell you a good story that night. It's the first night I ever met Glenn uh, Jacobs, the new mayor of Knoxville. Congratulations, Glenn oh, yeah. Jacobs. Um he walked in the building, and I was sitting close to the door, and he stopped, and he looked down at me, and he knew who I was, and he said, Mr. Black, he said, where do you want me to sit? And I stood up and looked, got, got out of my chair and grabbed my bag. I said, you want my chair, sir? You can have it, as big as you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, was, it was just a joke in the rib. And he, you know, years later, he said, I still remember that to the day. You stood up and said, you want my chair? <laughs> but at that time, we had a lot of good talent there. You know, you had... Uh, Chris Candido, you know, and he had Sunday with him, you know, and you had all the other good wrestlers. I mean, they was they was a lot of talent there, you know. Jim Ross was on, and Les Thatcher was on the mic, and I mean, it was just a great place to work. And you know, like I said, me and Joel had done work there for about a half a year, and then we went, you know, we had back to Japan, and we come back work for them a couple of times to go back to Japan, and then later, you know, later on when uh, I really don't know where Joel was at. I, I, I couldn't even find him for a couple of years, so I didn't know where he was at. So that's why I went out on my own after the political thing in Japan. And um, like I always say, I always say he's a better polit- politician than I am, you know, because he knew when to just sit there and, you know, and play the game. And when they cut your money and stuff like that, it was okay with him, but it wasn't okay with me. You mentioned... Kane, obviously, Glenn Jacobs yes. winning the um, the mayoral bid in Knox County. You mentioned Candido earlier. You mentioned Al Snow and Bulls Mahoney. Then you mentioned uh, Jim Ross and Les Thatcher, guys like that. But Smoky Mountain, I mean, speaking about all Japan for all this great underrated talent, Smoky Mountain, basically the last territory. What a hotbed of talent that was. Especially oh, man. That I mean, you know, period. yes, sir. Lord have mercy. I mean, you know, you had Tom Pritchard and and uh, they would I forget uh, Jimmy Del Rey and um, oh my God I, uh, you know so many licks with chairs I can't remember all of them they were so many I mean great guys 
I mean, Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony. I mean, the list goes on and on. And big uh, Mr. Wright, you know, you had the Harris Brothers in there. Ron, you know, I think they was working at the um, Bruce Brothers or something at that time, coming in and out of there at the at the end of it and stuff. And I mean, it was just a great. I mean, and then if you look at ECW, they had a they had a slew of great talent also. They came in and out. I mean, everybody wanted to be a part of it, you know. And I mean, if they had had the right, um, if they'd done everything right, I just that's the easiest way I can say it. If they'd done everything right and they had treated the boys right, ECW would probably still be going today. That is absolutely correct. I mean, the business yeah. side of things was uh, not great. Yeah, and probably, I was going to say, probably Smoky Mount would probably be going great today if things had been done, ran a little smoother and more about a book, you know. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy Cornette had a goal. He, like you said, he was one of the last great territories there was. And I've heard it from a lot of people say that was the last great territory that was ran was Smoky Mountains. 100% true, I think, for sure. Definitely was... Uh, the last real big major territory. Now, as I start to wind it down a bit here, especially with you, just looking at your resume, just looking at your matches, looking at your career, Kawada, Misawa, you know, Andre, Abdul, the Butcher, Kobashi. I mean, God, the list goes on and on and on. Then you got to the franchise mixed in there, two called Scorpio. Do you have some favorite matches that you've had throughout your career? Oh, Lord, yes, sir. Uh, I tell you, I, I worked a singles match against Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten one night by myself. And it was like a 25-minute match. And both those boys was blowed up at the end of the match because I took it to him. I mean, I just had come back from Japan. And, and you know, I took it to him. And, I mean, they, they're great guys. And, and, and Balls always told me, he said, every time I saw him out there, he said, oh, you're a chair shot. I said, when do you want to give it to me? He said, I ain't going to give it to you because then you'll give me another one. <laughs> and, mm. you know, but, you know, that, that was, it was great territory there. I mean, great workers there. I mean, you go, you go into that, you know, you go in there and you got, you got uh, Al Snow, one of the greatest guys you ever met who could shoot with you, who could wrestle with you, whatever you want to do, Al Snow could do it, you know. And I worked at Steiner Brothers, you know. To the other, you know, I worked at Peachtree, uh, Peach State Championship Wrestling for Ben Masters, and I probably wrestled more, more most of my most everybody who was famous back in the um, late in the mid '80s to the late '80s. I worked most every one of them because I was the heavyweight champion there for two or three years. I don't remember how many years. Finally, when guys get I got Rob trained, and I was going over to Japan. I gave the belt to Rob, and he, you know, he 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 ran it there for a year or two. I think I'm not even sure how long it was because you know, you going so wide it was going so wide open back in them days. I mean, we was putting in like like they tell you these days, you putting in 320, 340 days a year. That's what we was doing. Quite a run, quite a career. You had it's just amazing. I'm always curious, especially with a guy like you, of some favorite opponents, but not just you know per se guys that we've heard of. I'm kind of talking about some under the radar favorite opponents where 
we may have heard of them, but we may be shocked that you had such great chemistry with them. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a good idea. You've heard of Sugar Ray Lloyd, who was Glacier. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. He, he had a, he had a partner when he was the Blazers, named R.D. Swain. Me and R.D. Swain could tear any building down, and as far as that goes, we tore a few rings down. Just how hard we worked each other. Our our time limit draws. I mean, and um, probably very few people outside of Georgia ever heard the name R.D. Swain, but that guy was one of the, he could have been one, you know, he, you know, Ted Allen, Ted Oates was training most of those guys. Ted Allen was down there putting the rings up, you know, and while Bill Smith's another guy, you know, a lot of people don't know him, but uh, Ted Oates trained him. He's kind of a short guy, he's a lefty, but he'd go out there and work with you, and I mean, he, y'all could have the smash matches you ever had, and if you want to get stiff, he can stiffen up with you. You know, and that's that's the part that was a lot. Of, was the worst part about it in America was you couldn't get stiff with Americans. And then after you got back from Japan, people would say you was killing them, and you really wasn't killing them. You was just probably working at half your pace. You was working in Japan. In your career, you had stops in WCW and the WWF. Was there ever any thought of yours to get a full time contract and to wrestle for them? basically, you know, under contract, so to speak, and wrestle for them full-time? Um, I was very much, uh, I went to uh, Birmingham, Alabama one night, and was supposed to, uh, we had talked for like two months with WWE, which is WWF at the time, and um, I, I got there real early in the day and went out there and worked the first match because they wanted me to work a dark match against Brian, I think it was Brian Logan again. And, um, you know, I sat there at like 11.30 that night and Vince never showed up. And then, so finally I just said, you know, you know, at this point I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go home. And, you know, later on somebody said, Vince, show, Vince was there? I said, well, why, you know, I went around and asked Tony Guerrero, I asked uh, Pat Patterson and, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. You know, everybody kept saying they haven't seen him. And so I didn't know what the deal was there, but, you know, eventually I got a call saying, why didn't you wait on me? And I'm like, wait on you. It was 1130. They was tearing the ring down and Hmm. he was nowhere to be found. I mean, but then I found out later on, you know, he has a very hectic schedule and he had a lot of uh, people that he was seeing that night. And um, about his business he had to take care of, and there was a couple of guys that are real high up on the card that night. That was um, upset about some things, and those those three guys pretty much kept him in the room for two or three hours. And you know, they was probably the couple of them was the biggest stars ever seen on ECW to I mean, on WWE until this day. And I mean, it looked like they. They could have handled that any night, it seemed like, but that was the night they decided to handle it. And so uh, Ray Taylor come up and said, hey, you know, um, give me a ride home. I said, hey, brother, jump in the car. And so we jumped in the car and took Ray Taylor home, and we left. Who was big boss man, you know? Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. And one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet and one of the greatest guys you can ever work with in the ring at the same time. I mean, 
I wrestled him. I wrestled against him. I wrestled tag team with him. One of the nicest human beings you'd ever meet. So what year would this have been with the WWF? Um, it was close to the end of the 90s. It was around 98 or 99, somewhere in there. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So we might be talking like um, Steve Austin. The no, no, no. I was, I was standing out there talking with Steve. Me and Steve Austin The Rock were standing out there talking. So it was the people that was um, had, had a lot more pull than them, you know, that was in there, you know. Some of them that was in um, some tag teams that was, you know, uh, and one of them was in a group, and um, they had, you know, that, that guy, one of them was short, you know, wore hearts on him, and he not wasn't dressed. <laughs> it was a, another guy, and he had yeah. a, um, he, him and his his buddy was in there, and they was arguing about something, and then they then it wind up that um, Kane and and uh, the Undertaker wind up in there arguing back with them, and then it just became a. I, I really didn't understand what you know what what it was so hectic about you know I don't know was something happened earlier or something well if, I, I if, never got, if if it was maybe Shawn Michaels and Triple H we know that they uh they are political animals and they they definitely um fought with Vince a lot if they didn't get what they wanted yeah they kind of hogged up the time I can you know, totally and, see that yep I, I could see that and and so you sitting there the new guy and basically a new guy and you done been you know and, and I was around with Paul uh Orndorff was training uh uh Triple H, you know, Paul. And um but and I was like, hey man, you know, I can't I'm not gonna which I own my own construction company through all this. And I'm like, you know, brother, I got things I have to do tomorrow. You know, this ain't my only source source of income, you know. I'm you know, I I was making somewhere between Anywhere between ten to twenty thousand dollars a week, and in my own construction company. So I, you know, a lot of times when I was working for these companies, I was losing money. Hey, time and, is money, but, and, and Vince can't leave you waiting uh, all night. And 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 you know, I don't think Vince even knew that he was leaving me waiting because they kind of bombarded him when they got there, you know. And I really never found out what it was about. You know, I have a good idea what it was about later because wasn't long after that they let uh, China they gave her walking papers and you know and but you know me, as far as you know me and Steve Austin and and Dwayne Johnson was sent out there with Ted Allen and um, Ray Trailer we stood out there in the hall and they were standing right beside me they was going man I don't understand you know he should have called you in there two hours ago I'm like what's going on he said and then. You know, at one point, the, the two I was, you two mentioned earlier came out, went out there and done their match, and the other two was in the next. Then uh, and Kane done the first match, so he was, I think he was more of a witness to something. I don't really know what happened. If they, or either somebody had got in trouble or something, and they was trying to work all that out. But, but you know, by the time they called me back, I'd been... I then went to work somewhere else, and I was happy with that because I could be at home during the day and make plenty of money and be around my wife, my daughter, you know, and my family. And so it was just easier for me to just do it that way at that point in time. And, you know, 
at that point in time, I was, you know, I done had, um, went to um, some organization, and um, yeah, I was working with some organization. Me and Terry Gordy was working with somebody out of North Carolina, and they they was paying us pretty good. But you know, I could still do that that night and and get back home, and um, money was pretty good and. It was still that that was a time when there was really a lot of bad things going on in WWE. If you if you can look back at the you know, it was coming out of the uh attitude area era and they was trying to PG it and a lot of the guys didn't want to go that way and a lot of the guys was hurt real bad and they was trying to push them too hard and and some of them was just full rotten and wanted their way and didn't they didn't get their way exactly the way they wanted. They wanted to come in there and argue about it every week. Again, you don't you don't get involved in the politics too much, which uh, you know, which is which is good and bad. Yes, sir. There you go. You get back, right back to that politics, you know. <laughs> and and when you get when it gets that political, they can kiss my ass. Yes. You know, and and when I say kiss my ass, I mean kiss my ass goodbye. Because <laughs> I didn't need it. I mean, I never worked for no company that paid me more than what I made working for my own company that I started when I was 17, 18 years old. So, why in the world would I keep taking all this bullcrap off of these crybabies that, you know, and political BS? And, I mean, you know, and now looking back, and I've, I've been to a few shows recently and sat back in the dressing rooms and just talked to other people, you know, and um, watch what's going on this day and time. And I mean, good God Almighty, it is so pitiful to sit back there and watch the politics. It ain't nothing but politics now. I mean, everything's written down to a T. You know, you have no output or no input on what's going on. It's just the way they want it to be. Crazy, crazy business. Now, one final big question for me I have for you, because you've been everywhere, all Japan, what a run, Smoky Mountain, Global, WCW, WWF, almost full-time, ECW, the Indies, the international scene, the Tokyo Pro Wrestling. I mean, you've been there, you've done it all, you even got shot, and then still managed to wrestle three days later. So what do you say is your lasting legacy or the stamp that you would leave behind on the wrestling business? I was one of the last true wrestlers in this business. I had a guy, I told a guy one night, and Mike Golden was there, and he'll, he'll testify to it. He'll say, a guy said, dang, a guy under 60 years knows, knows the damn thing about wrestling anymore. And he goes, well, Billy Black's only 52. That's been a couple years ago. And he goes, damn, I forgot about him. Well, he's the only one. <laughs> and because I, you know, I came up through the business at a young age. I worked with a lot of the old timers when it was territories, and I rode with Junkyard Dog, uh, Ray Candy, Big O. I mean, you know, I can. There's, I have to sit down and write them all down so that way, if I told you, it would take us three hours to do this whole interview. Is <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I enjoyed the business. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, 
who who's the other wrestler? You said there's another wrestler. Who's the other wrestler? The other wrestler. You were saying that there's two guys that you would consider, you know, that last breed of wrestler. You and who would be that other guy? As and which which part of that was I talking about? Basically, you're just saying that there was, you know, there's there's no real wrestlers left except for you and maybe one other guy. Would there be another guy? Oh, there was there was a couple of guys, but Mike Golden was one of them. You know, he tried to wrestle the old old style, and you know, but it's coming coming up. A lot of guys veered away from that so fast, you know, and it. I mean, it really. If you look at Terry Bam Bam Gordy. He's the he's the other guy I was talking about. Terry Bam Bam Gordy, me and him, known each other since we was teenagers, and we worked everywhere and we partied everywhere. I mean, when we we walked down the streets of the Pungy, people come running out. I mean, we was in the Hard Rock Cafe in the Pungy one night, and um, Snake come running over to us. We didn't know who Snake was at the time. Come to find out, he was the guitar player for Skid Row. They give us tickets to go to the concert the next night in Yokohama. Those guys knew who we were, and, uh, and Robert Gibson was with us. Robert Gibson's another guy who started out when he was real young. You know, worked with his brother Ricky uh, Gibson, and it, that that was the best that he he ever had it. You know, if you want my opinion, I mean, you know, they, the the Rock and Roll Express they got their little tag team spots, but it, it, they they were more showmanship at that point. Did you enjoy the business? business looking back did, did you like your time in it oh man it was one of the best times of my life i mean I, I, there's nothing i can say bad about the business as a whole you know it's learning curves here learning curves there. But in, in life there is the only thing i didn't like about the business was the politics you know i mean if you're going to look at politics you can go back and look at the uh, wcw nwa with you know we went up there and talked to uh bill Watts, he was ready to give us a job. Three weeks later, Ole Anderson took the book, and we was out. Hmm. And uh, had nothing to do with me, but Joel had been trained by Lars Anderson, and so, therefore, Ole didn't want to even talk to us. (laughs) So always rearing its head. Yeah, um, he's got a well, I would I would say he's lack of personality. <laughs> the only time he that has is personality true. is when the camera's home. <laughs> <laughs> that is true from from definitely from from uh, from what I've heard. That's definitely true. So, Billy, please, um, one final thing. This has been an awesome trip down memory lane. I, I love going through all the Japan stuff and all through your career. Just an amazing trip but where can the fans kind of reach out and, and talk to you if they wanted to reach you is there a place is there some plugs that you have well i have um i have on facebook i have a, a billy black fans page and all they have to do is go on there i mean and i i, I don't not only every day but i have somebody that's on it almost every day but two or three times out of the week i'm on it myself All right, so Billy Black on Facebook. Definitely check that out. If you're an old school fan, you will absolutely love it. So, Billy, this has been quite the pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I, I appreciate it, and I love this trip down memory lane. 
And John, it's been my pleasure talking with you guys and talking with all you guys out there listening. And, um, you know, I just want to let the wrestling world know that it was always my biggest dream to become a professional wrestler. I never dreamed. My biggest dream was to become the Georgia Heavyweight Champion one time. And I've held this spot from the NWA to everybody, every other belt that's ever been in Georgia. And, um, and went way further than that. So you're looking at a guy, that, at a kid that had a dream, and he followed it, and it, and it came true. So if you want, if you dream hard enough and you work hard enough and you follow it, you can do anything. Awesome. Great stuff, Billy. Thank you so much uh, for all the time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, brother, I appreciate it, too. Anytime you want to talk, give me a holler. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.